Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Man's podcast. We really hope that you enjoy this upcoming episode, and we really appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you could, on your way out, hit the like, comment, share, subscribe button, share this with your friends and family. We really appreciate it. We're just starting the conversation. We're sparking it. We don't have the solutions, but the goal is to spark the conversation. Sometimes a student is a teacher, and sometimes a teacher is a student. Have a good day. Yo, what's up, man? Welcome to the Thinking Man Podcast. It's your boy, Corey, and I got Ken with me. Y'all know how we do every week. We talk about controversial topics, uh, real world issues, and just some of the things that's going on in our lives. Again, we're not perfect, but we feel like we can impute some knowledge into you that you can walk away and take you on a journey within yourself that you probably can never get to by yourself. So we're going to dive right into it. And I believe the topic today is, is black men represented in media. So what's up, Ken? How's things going, bro? Man, everything's good, bro. Everything's good. Like I say, man, the family's healthy. Everybody's cool. How are you doing, man? Good, man. We just came back from a family vacation. We was in Florida and uh, we got to go to Orlando uh, Universal Studios, man. It was like phenomenal. i never been growing up as a kid. That's something that I always dreamed of doing, but I never thought it would never happen. And I got a chance to go this week with my family. And man, it was a mind blowing experience just to be there with my family, just spend that time away from work away from social media and just really, you know, have that intimate time with my family. So man, it was it was phenomenal and I really enjoyed myself. Man, that's that's good, bro. You deserve it, bro. You work hard. You should be able to expose your family and go out and enjoy enjoy life, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um one of the things that I guess we'll start with that that question, you know, basically centering around how do you feel that minorities are represented in the media? All right. So what what do you think, Corey? Do you think that do you think that the media correctly embodies the lifestyle or the lives of minorities as a whole? That's a great question. I feel like the media does exactly what it's supposed to do in regards to betraying certain demographics and individuals the way they want them to be portrayed. Hmm. Particularly when it comes to black men, you know, I think the media does a great job as portraying us as, you know, perpetrators, portraying us as criminals, portraying us as aggressive, hostile individuals that have no self-control, you know, need to be contained and confined to certain things and areas. I feel like they do a great job at, you know, portraying that if that's the message they want to get out. Could they do better? Because, you know, we are not just those individuals. You know, we're, we're brilliant. We're innovators. We're creators. We've established things. We actually built a lot of things in this country. In fact, this country was built on our back, but it doesn't have our back. They don't portray those things because we are the inferior bunch, the mi- minorities. And so it's only right that they be portray, you know, uh, let's say our white counterparts, for an example, as superior, you know, running the business, Fortune five hundreds, all these things. So I think the media does a great job portraying people the way they want them to be portrayed. I'll just say that. Mm. Yeah, that's in, that's important. You know, I, I agree with that, man. I I one hundred percent agree with that. I think that the media 
oftentimes tries to keep people in boxes, excuse me, in boxes for marketing purposes. So obviously there's a financial component to that. Um, and there, I mean, I, I think that's what it entails. I think that's pretty much what it is. It's about money. Uh, and it's also about maintaining a, you know, a constant underclass of, of people. So since the country's inception, there has always been an underclass of, of people. Um, and you know, the way that it's marketed, the way that it is communicated, it furthers that thought process. Now we're starting to experience some change that I don't think that my grandparents, you know, and for, and also for my, you know, my father and my mother's generation that they haven't necessarily seen. There's been a, um, there's been things that are bubbling underneath the surface that I think are now starting to be visible. You know, who we are as a people, our greatness, our intelligence, our creativity, all of these things that we know that we have are now starting to be exposed to the world, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And I want to tap into something really quick. Just the George Floyd situation. You know, I think the media has a, has a way of only showing our flaws, right? They don't have an opportunity to show those intimate moments that we have with our families or when we're creating things of that nature, you know, because there's no cameras on us inside of our home, but outside of our home, you know, the city is packed with cameras and sometimes it only shows the things that we are flawed in at times. And you know, sometimes it catches some great things, but even with this whole, you know, George Floyd situation and the things that happened with him, you know, the camera caught George, you know, being a little, you know, giddy and, you know, they, they, they try to portray him as this monster. But when you listen to his family and everything that he stood for, the things that he represented, the media don't show that, you know, there's a lot of greatness on the inside of every one of us. Every person that's walking the face of this earth, there's greatness on the inside of us. But when the media get a hold to it, they can flip it and turn it. They can manipulate they can do so many different things with it again they don't really tell the true story of who we are as individuals they only tell and show what they want those individuals to be portrayed as you know we got to ask ourselves who's behind media right the people that controls the cameras the people that owns the networks what do they look like do they look like us are they black representation behind the media for us you know what I'm saying? I believe that because it's not a lot of us in that in that arena, we're going to be portrayed again how the superior ones want us to be portrayed. And so I think with George Floyd and his situation, you know, they got the statue of him and they're talking about, oh, he was a criminal and that needs to be torn down. And he was a, a threat and, and, and a menace to society and all these things. It's like, but you didn't know this man at all. Nobody that's talking and giving these comments spent any intimate time with George. Only thing that y'all saw was what media portrayed. And that was only a glimpse of his life. You know what I'm saying? That was merely eight minutes or let's say 32 minutes leading up to his death. You only got to see a little bit of what he was doing and what he was acting like. If drug was a part of his everyday life, do you know the why? Do you know how he became addicted? See, they don't tell the story, uh, the full story. They tell pieces of it put a story together and this is what they present you with. So the representation of the black man in the media, I believe is flawed. I believe it's doing a lot of damage to our communities. 
I believe is setting these implicit biases in the minds of other people to believe that certain groups are a certain way. And it's going to keep this hate and this division and this racist drive and agenda alive. And I think the media has a lot to do with that, especially when it comes to people of color. Yeah, I I, I do think that I, I'm a, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one. You know, so I, I think that the the media definitely plays a role, right? Uh, one of my friends, uh, she jokes a lot when she's taking, you know, how people take pictures and, you know, it may, it may not be the best angle of you. It might show yeah. your stomach, you know, you're like, ah, I'm looking heavy right there. You know what I mean? And she says this thing, man, jokingly, she says the camera takes what it sees, child. You know what I mean? So I, I do think that there is, you know, as far as the media is concerned, I, I do think that they are irresponsible, right? But we also have to be responsible for ourselves and the choices that we make. Um, he, he did have a record. Now, regardless of him and his criminal history, I think that the media wants us to get caught up in that. I don't, I don't want to get caught up in that. I, there are a lot of people that want to get caught up in that. And I think what that does is in, in one way or another, justify his killing. So the, you know, regardless of the, his criminal history, he still shouldn't have been murdered, you know, by a police officer. Is he the poster child for how, you know, you know, how it is to be a man in the world? No, no. But to be honest, I don't think any man is. Yes, he he had a criminal um, criminal history. How how important is that as it relates to how, you know, his interaction with the police officer went? You know, does that justify his murder? No. Is, is he a model citizen? Or was he a model citizen? That's up for debate based on what's important to you. Um, we one of the one of the things that's important for as it relates to the way that we're portrayed, we you hit on it, Corey. Our representation in these places that create media, that create the uh, the things that we see displayed on television. So producers, directors, uh, writers, as we move into those spaces where we were not allowed to be, we'll see more representation in media. So we're starting to see that now. Um, there's a show on HBO Max called David Makes Man, and it's written by uh, a gentleman by the name of Terrell Alvin. And this show shows a different, it gives what you were talking about, Corey, it gives a deeper understanding of how a young man can be raised in a situation and have to make certain decisions because of the environment that he's raised in. I mean, from zero to 17, your environment is chosen for you until you can provide for yourself, until you can figure out your path, your environment is chosen for you. You and I both know the, the environments that we came up in, there were certain decisions that had to be made that other nationalities or other groups may not have had to deal with. So I get that 
they may not have been the best choices, but I think that the that having it displayed in the media to watch a show, and I would I would hope that people of other nationalities, and we should do this as well as black people, watch shows that dig into the lives of white, Latino, Asian Americans to see their experience. It's important to give us some some well-roundedness in the way that we perceive the world. I think that this show shows how difficult it is to balance school and and being intelligent and then going home to a toxic and quote unquote hood environment and trying to balance I have a test in geology tomorrow that I want to ace so that I can go to college. But Today, somebody has just got shot on my street. The police have kicked down a door across the street where they were selling drugs. But I can't focus on that. I have to get to my studies. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a real thing. And I'm going to share a little bit of my story. You know, as a kid growing up in my environment, one, first and foremost, I was born to a teenage mother and my father was absent. You know what I mean? In fact, my father wanted my mother to abort me, I found out. Gave her the money to do it. So death was more promising to me than success ever was from the jump, right? Growing up with this teenage mother who stayed with her mother, and we had a family that was blended, right? I had my cousins and my uncles and aunts, and everybody stayed one another. The environment was toxic, All right. I got to see drugs being sold, a lot of violence. I got to see, you know, my aunts strung out on crack, pouring boiling water on their boyfriends. They come up the stairs, they skin board over, you know, seeing my aunts, you know, chasing my cousin because he had a white substance in his hand playing with her. It wasn't crack. She threw an axe and cut my cousin's head open with the axe. You know, these are all the things that I witnessed in my life. And as I began to get older, you know, I had to go to school. And it's hard to focus. You know, when you know you got all these things going on at home and school was a escape for me. You know what I mean? I was able to laugh. I was able to have fun. I was able to be around people who, one, probably was dealing with some of the same similarities or same things I was dealing with. uh, But we didn't talk about those things. You know what I mean? Because we wanted to find something that was worth going to school for. And that was one another. That was, you know, uh, just having that connection. But it's so hard to focus on an exam. It's so hard to focus on anything school related when you know what you got to walk back into man there would be times i would come home from school my mom's car windows busted out because her and her boyfriend's fighting in the front of the yard in front of everybody in an apartment complex you know the windows in the house bust out you know all these things and i was embarrassed man Uh, that was traumatizing for me and so for me to go to school and to escape that that was my reality school was a temporary safe haven for me you know what i mean but Even in that, the stuff that went on at home impacted how I acted in school. You know what I mean? I acted out. I wanted to be the class clown. I I wanted attention because I wasn't getting it at home because they were too busy fighting and bucking with one another that it kind of left me and my siblings to fend for ourselves a lot of times. And so I understand, you know, uh, and also being in education, teaching as a teacher, my scholars would come to school and I would automatically like just have this. This connection, like something is going on. And I would tell them off the rip. 
We got a test today, but I know you won't care about no test today. Some of y'all didn't even get a chance to eat last night. Some of y'all mamas didn't come home. Some of y'all moms and dads is locked up. You stand with your grandmas and your, and your aunts and your uncles, all these things. So I put these things out on the forefront to let them understand, let them know I understand where you're coming from and what you're going through. So if you don't do well today, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Because your reality, your real reality is toxic. When you come here, you have to act like everything is okay. And you don't give a damn about taking no test when you don't know when you go home, if you're going to get beat, what you're going to eat, if your parents going to be in a fight, you don't, you don't know. So it's tough, man. And, and that's the stuff that, you know, we grew up. I know I grew up dealing with that. And some of the kids that I taught grew up dealing with that. So it perfect, it uh, affects your performance. It affects your psyche. It affects a lot of things, man. And so it, it's real out here. And I think until we begin to acknowledge those things and, People from different nationalities and background backgrounds and cultural uh, upbringings, we need to be more culturally aware and sensitive of other people's upbringing and things they've been through and what they had to do to survive. You know, some stuff is not because they wanted to do it. It's because they had to in order to make it. Yeah, definitely. Um, man, that's a. Uh... I think that's the struggle that where we come from, we, we all experience those things. Not necessarily, not exactly, not all the same way, you know, but there are certain things as far as our home lives that we try to balance. So when I, when I was growing up from like zero to four, I grew up uh, in the homestead area. If you're from Houston, you know where that is. They call it the stead. So I grew up with my grandmother, my uncle, my grandfather, my aunt, my mother, and then, you know, uh, different cousins and stuff like that. You know, and it was a and it was a two bedroom, you know, home. That was from zero to four. My mother then uh, married a guy and we moved to Acres Homes. That's the majority of my childhood was spent from, you know, four to 15 in Acres Homes. Um, Those were my formative years. And the things that we experienced in, I wouldn't, I would say in Acres Homes was, you know, at four, you're not that conscious and aware of your environment. You know, so I didn't know that, you know, I didn't understand, okay, it's all of us in this two bedroom. I slept in a bed with my my mother, my aunt, and we all kind of piled in the same bed in one room. And my grandmother and grandfather shared another room. You know what I mean? So I didn't understand what that was at that age. But when I moved to Acres Homes, I found it very difficult to balance school and the things that I was experiencing outside of the home. And then there were some, there were some things that I was experiencing inside of the home as well. Um, my, you know, my stepfather was a, abusive, verbally and physically abusive, you know? And I remember one time my my uh my stepfather and my my mom were getting into it and 
I was standing at the top of the stairs looking into the kitchen. And I seen him kind of like kind of grab her. I don't remember whether it was a chokehold or pick her up and just kind of slam, not kind of just slam her on the kitchen uh, table. And it was a wood table, but there was glass over the um, over the table. And. I, I screamed out to my mom, I was like, do you want me to call the police? This is something that I had never even knew was possible. You know what I mean? Um, and she said, call the police. And I froze. I mean, I froze. I had never experienced this kind of trauma ever. I don't even remember how old I was. It was, it, it was crazy. And I froze. And even to this day at 35, that still bothers me that I froze. But I was eight or nine, something like that, maybe a little bit younger. I just knew when something was wrong or going on, you call the police. That was my point of reference. But I froze. And then to experience that and have to wake up tomorrow or the next day and go to school. And make A's in the gifted and talented program and all of those different things while all that crap is going on. Then having to come back home to something that just happened yesterday and study and compartmentalize it and act as if it did not happen because I can't I can't focus on it. I can't talk. You know, I, I can't talk about it. I need to focus on school because that's my way out of this shit. You, you know what I mean? That's my, that's my way out of this shit is if I, cause if I lose focus of my schoolwork, which is my way out, I'll be stuck here dealing with this shit. And I, I think that, this show that I was talking about that Terrell, the writer, created, it hit home for me in a major way. And it showed this is the first time that I felt like I was represented on screen. I mean, to I wouldn't say to the T, but I mean, it was it was close. It was very close to, you know, even having to balance or juggle code switching. You know, one of the greatest decisions that, you know, my mom made aside from allowing me to live with my father, my dad is allowing me to go into the gifted and talented program and then on into uh, magnet schools. But that the duality of that going to a magnet school where I can talk about STEM and I can talk about, you know, basically geology. We get into the arts. We talk about ballet, dance, theater. Um, I mean, just a whole, an entirely different world of experiences. I mean, that's, that's expansive. And then to go home to something hyper-focused, just, you know, toxic, dysfunctional, Man, we lived across the street from the neighborhood drug dealer. And I, I and I'm saying one of the kingpin level type of situations. Um it was nothing to see either the local police department 
or sometimes state or federal agents kick in the door across the street from me. I could see that from my window. And to see the melee, I mean, people run it. You just have to, there was a trail next to it, seeing people scatter through the forest and like, it was just crazy, man. It was crazy. Balancing that, that environment, some of my best friends, their mothers and fathers were addicted to drugs. So, and I'm, and I'm saying all this to try to paint a picture of my home life, compartmentalizing that experience. My, my friends are having this, a similar toxic and dysfunctional experience. And we are all trying to come down off of whatever we've just experienced the day before and sit next to each other in class. And then you wonder why it's so much fighting and uh, all this stuff going on in the classroom. Man, I could go on on this. I'm a- <laughs> no, no. I mean, you, you, you're hitting a lot of great things and just really like, sharing your experience with us. is really allowing us to become one with you in a sense. Like a lot of us relate to what you're saying. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of things that I didn't even cover in regards to my upbringing. But this is what I will say. And Ken, you said it, you know, from zero to 17, you know, you don't get to choose your environment. Your environment chooses you. And I believe there's something called intergenerational trauma that we're all dealing with. And intergenerational trauma is trauma that is passed down generationally. You know what I mean? And I believe that a lot of the environments that we grew up in as children, that's a generational thing. Because if nobody ever breaks the cycle or breaks the curse, we're going to continue to grow up in these neighborhoods that are toxic, that are drug infested, gang infested, all these things. But not only that, I don't care what type of environment you grow up in. I think it's the people you grow up around, mm-hmm. right, that actually impacts you the most. Um, now, I'm not saying that the environment doesn't play a role. It's not a factor, but it's the people you grew up around. The neighborhoods I grew up in, they were subpar, you know, I mean, growing up on Saginaw and Pontiac, Michigan, where most young boys don't make it out to see past 18 years old, you know, people getting shot and gunned down in the street. I got to see a lot of negative things in my environment and some, and I say this all the time. This is one of my favorite uh, quotes that I've said. You don't have to see a good example to be one. Now, I saw a lot of negative things, a lot of bad examples, enough of those to know that's not something I wanted to follow. Right. And so I began to take. Take on like this, this newfound person like, man, you see all these things, you see what's going on in your environment, but there got to be more to life than this, because everybody that you're seeing around you, they're being killed. They're strung out on dope. Uh, something bad is happening to them. So if you go down the same path, the only thing that's left for you is the same thing that's happening to them. That's, it's the same results. And so seeing all these things, you know, seeing my mom be abused, my brothers them be abused. You know, one of my brothers almost got drowned by his own father. Like he tried to he force his head in the water and I sit there and I froze. There was nothing I could do. You know, uh, mom in the room getting beat. You know, I, I didn't freeze when it's time to call the cops. I got to call the cops. But, you know, I mean, I called my grandmother. She called the cops. There were certain things that we had to do. But with all that being said, 
I said, there's more to life than this. I don't think life was given to us to be easy. I think life was given to us to be managed. And there's only so much management you can do as a kid. But when you get older, you can manage your life a little better based on the experiences that you've gone through. Right. And so I said, coming out of my environment, I said, I want to be better. I want to give my kids something that I never had in my life. We were just at dinner yesterday and I looked across the table at my two daughters and I said, it was so it was so minuscule, though. I said. My family, when I was coming up, we never went out to eat as much as we go out to eat. We never just sat down, just got to go out to restaurants and eat. My family never been to Universal Studios when I was younger. We never been to different states and traveled, you know. So I told my kids, I have accomplished more for y'all than my mom was able to accomplish for me and do for you. You know what I mean? And it made me feel good as a father because I'm like, hell, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I don't want to grow up and be like the men that I see abuse my mom and, you know, all these. I don't want to be like any of that. I want to separate myself so far from that to where not that I don't remember it because I always reach back in my past if it's going to add value to my future, but I don't want to park in my past and and, and allow that to, you know, say, well, Corey, you should have just been like everybody else. You know, you you have the right, you are justified to be a dope dealer. You are justified to a beat on your wife. You, you, you have all the reason to do it because that's what you grew up in. And I said, that's a lie. And I will not live my life like that. And so, man, breaking that curse, breaking that cycle, you know, my, my daughters don't know what the, what the ghetto looks like. They don't know what it is to live in the hood. They never had to step foot in it. I've taken them to some of the places and they're like, oh my gosh, dad, you lived here. I'm like, yeah, I had to survive in this. But I promise you, y'all would never have to even touch, step foot in this and have to live in something like this because I, I need to break the cycle. My daughters have always lived in the suburbs, always had nice things. You know, they never want for anything. So I want to be a representation in media that portrays that you can come from a hellhole. You can come from toxicity. You can come from broken homes and, 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 and toxic neighborhoods and you can do something great with your life. You know what I mean? But. Who wants to film that? People love dysfunction. They'd rather put dysfunction in the media than somebody who's successful really doing their thing. And the only people they do put in the media that's successful in doing their thing are rappers and NBA players and football players. They don't speak for all black men. We have some engineers. We have truckers. You know, we have a lot of different people out here that do do different things, but they're not being put in the media. Yeah. Man, first off, bro, because I feel like we don't do this enough. Man, kudos to you, bro. Man, kudos to you, bro. Like for taking care of your family. And yes, we are as men supposed to take care of our family. But considering where we're where we've come from, the things that we've experienced, kudos to you, man. You know, likewise, likewise. Appreciate that, man. It's the it's the little moments, and and I was explaining to my fiance because you were describing how you were kind of sitting at the table, like, like, and I know how that feels, bro. Like I know how that feels. Like I I I, I completely identify with that experience to be sitting somewhere and looking at your family, and they they're just eating, chilling, normal, just life. This is this is life for them. And having the 
thought or the memories of what it was for you when you were their age. It's a it, man, kudos to you, bro. You're doing a good job and you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you're doing a great job of being a father and a provider for your family. I appreciate you. You know, um, <laughs> I remember when my mother, when I moved with my dad, my mother moved me from when I moved out of Acres Home, I moved with my dad to A Leaf. And the experience, I, I always, if you've seen Boys in the Hood, I was Cuba Gooden Jr. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so yeah. my dad and I, we would have these talks and he, so what do you think about this? We, every day he would cook the same meal. It was good. Every, 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 uh, every morning breakfast, we sit down at the table and just kind of have conversations. And as I'm older, I realized what he was doing. He was picking my brain. He wasn't just seeing me as his son. All right, I'll see you later. I'm going to work. He was actually, you know, having conversation with me to grow my mindset. You know what I mean? So as a kid, you just think, oh, we're just having a conversation. No, he's exposing me in conversation. I see that like now, especially with my son. Um, but there was a time when I moved from Acres home to move to live with my dad. And he took us, not us. He it was him, his wife and myself. We went to. I think, and it's uh, now it's like not a big deal, but um, what is the, it's, it wasn't Maggiano's. It was one of these Italian uh, chain restaurants. And I had never experienced that before. You know what I mean? I had never sat at an Italian restaurant. My, in Acres Homes, like we ate ponchos, which is like a Mexican buffet. And we ate um, hamburgers from the burger stand. Leonard's and then we had like Chinese food was was on like Antoine or something like that. That was it. So when we went into this environment, I I experienced anxiety. I'm talking about full blown, like we gotta get out of here. I'm like not comfortable. Hey, let's get it to go. Let's go back to the house. Another feeling I had never felt before. And Looking back on that in my older, as I'm older now, you know, my dad's like, what's wrong with you? Like, you all right? Like, what's, because he's seeing something I'm sure that he's never seen in me before. And I felt like, and I told, I said, it. I said, man, all of these white people, they looking at me. I don't feel comfortable. It's too many white people in here. It's, I cannot, I cannot function. Like I need, we need to go. And as I, <clears throat> excuse me, as I replay those, that moment. I had to ask myself in therapy and self-reflection, why was I so uncomfortable in that environment? My exposure, I had never, I had never experienced a restaurant like that before. And we were the only black people in there. So that's a whole nother culture dynamic switch for me from acres homes to being the only black people. But I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. I felt out of place in a quote unquote fancy restaurant. There, dude, there are so many different layers to this conversation. It creates a, well, why didn't I feel comfortable? Why didn't I feel like I deserved to be there? And I, and I feel like this is, this is how I feel. It's my opinion. I don't think it's a fact. I'm pretty sure it's a fact, but we'll see. The hood oppresses intelligence and experiencing life in its fullness. 
It limits you to, okay, you got to drive the slab, the Buick Park Avenue. I had two of them, the Buick Park Avenue on 22s with the bang and the screens. You, okay, what about the Lexus? What about the, excuse me, what about the, uh, what about the Maybach? What about, what about higher end vehicles? What about living in, you know, Pomona and Meridiana, like, you know, affluent suburbs? It, it makes, it's a fishbowl. And all you see, that's why agency, but exposure is extremely important. You have to, in order for you to see the, and and my dad, and I know what he was doing when he took me there. He was expanding my consciousness. And it's uncomfortable to do that. But now, man, we eat at, we eat everywhere. Man, I haven't eaten ponchos. Matter of fact, I refuse to eat ponchos. You know what I mean? So it's. My son will never know that stuff. You know, like it's it's important for us to be exposed. And we we talk about agency. And I want to give the definition of agency so people can have a, a firm understanding of it. You know, in social science, agency is defined as the capacity of individuals to act independently and to make their own free choices. Right. So that's that's the from the, the social science perspective, that's the definition of agency. So how can you have agency or everybody's everybody's given agency from a biblical perspective it's free will. That's pretty much what it is. So everybody by you know at birth is given free will. They're given agency. You have the right to choose the life that you want to lead. But you are only going to choose based on the options that you see available to you. It takes a special individual to see outside of the fishbowl and see, okay, I'm going to be a business owner. You know, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. I'm going to empower people. This is not what I'm going to. I'm not going to stay here and be stuck. I'm going to do something greater than this. It takes a special individual to do that. And Corey, I'm curious to like, so at do you have any pivotal moments or at what point did you decide like, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm going to do something different. What, what drove, what was the catalyst for you to start that thought process? That's a great question. I feel as though I've always been an individual who has been different. I've never been someone to follow. And if I did follow someone, I follow with intent with the intentions to be an effective leader. When I think about my life and some of the things I've been through and some of the things I've witnessed, I always done things opposite of my family members. You know, people that smoked weed and drank and done all these things. I didn't do those things. I was actually pressured into doing some of these things uh, by my older cousins and stuff like that. This is something that I just never wanted to do. And just watching these people do it, I said, man, there's something different about me. And because there was something different about me, I was always talked about by my family members. Or you a square or you this and that and you you always telling on somebody. I mean, I told on myself when I did something wrong because I felt like I had integrity from a very young age. If I, you know, my cousin that made me smoke weed, it would eat away at my consciousness because that's not something I would do. And I would tell my mom, you know, when my cousin, you know, made me watch pornography at a young age when I was like eight. That's not something I just did on a regular. You know what I'm saying? I told my mom. And so that moment there in my young years, I knew I was different. But I think what switched for me was knowing the fact that I think it happened 
in in high school. No, actually middle school. I stopped living with my mom, you know, and I started living with my aunt. My aunt was a police officer in, in Pontiac. She lived on a golf course in a condominium, three-story condominium. When I walked out my back door, I was like at the 14th hole on the green. A tire, an entirely different experience. She bought me clothes if I didn't have no clothes clean. She's like, all right, come on, nephew, let's go get you some clothes. She bought me my own set of groceries. She bought groceries for the house, but then she bought me my own set of what I wanted. You know, and I'm like, I want to live like this. You know, my aunt let me drive a Cadillac to middle school. The things that she exposed me to, you know what I mean? The things that she would take, the place she would take me. I said, I, I want to live like this. So at an early age in middle school, I began to develop this sense of um, like a belonging to something more than just being in toxic environments. I felt like I want to better my life and, and do the things and, and expose whoever my kids to some of the things my aunt exposed me to. And so in middle school, I think it started for me. But when I had my daughter, I think things really changed for me when I was a sophomore in high school. You know, my, my girl got pregnant. And I said, all the hell I'd have been through, all the toxic and traumatic experience that I've, I've endured in my life, I want to offer my kids and my family something greater. And I want to do something in this world that's going to change the face of this world. You know, I didn't know what the vehicle was that was going to take me there. I didn't know how I was going to get there because I struggled for a very long time with identity and what my purpose was in this life. And I found that when I had an opportunity to speak in front of Greg Abbott and a lot of executives and people in, you know, upper echelon positions, I spoke in front of this crowd. And when I spoke, I got a standing ovation. My daughter took a picture with Greg Abbott sitting in his lap. And she's the poster girl in the state of Texas for all the child support office to this day. And I said, man, speaking is speaking is my thing. If I can talk and, and speak life into people coming from a teenage mother and an absent father coming from being pushed down a flight of stairs and watching, you know, my brother be drowned by his father, almost drowned by his father, you know, people being burned with boil water and, Heads being cut up with axes, drugs being sold all around me. You know, if I can come out of that and I can speak to the people and give them something that you talk about what I believe and they can believe it too because they can relate, that's what I'm going to do. So that was my vehicle. And what I understand is this, man. People don't buy what you want. They buy why you do it. And so... That changed my life, man. You know, my daughter and, and that that experience to the opportunity to be able to speak in front of the, the, the attorney general of Texas and all these high executives. It changed my life. And I believe that was my purpose at that moment. It just took me some time to really find it and to develop it and to really begin to walk in. It took me years. That happened in 2003. I didn't really start getting busy with speaking uh, professionally until a couple of years ago. But that whole gap from 2003 to about 2018, 19, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. But I did know I didn't want to be a product of my environment. I did know I wanted to empower people. I wanted to challenge the the conscious, the consciousness of a, of a man. I wanted to convict the soul of a man. And I wanted to give them something that they can leave to them kids, their kids, you know. And uh, 
so yeah, man, it, it was a lot of things. I think it was a combination of things, but I knew from middle school, like, I got to do something different with my life. I want to live how my aunt is living. So. Yeah. And man, everything you said, bro, is it's about exposure. Man, it's, it's really important that we, um, we have to expose our children. And for those of you who are listening, who, you know, have limitations as far as the amount of income that you make. This is not about money necessarily as far as your exposure. Teach your kids the importance of reading books, podcasts, interviews. Man, I've as a child, man, I read tons of books. My my father uh, was it, it was and is an avid reader, and we all continue to read to expand our horizons. So you may be in a situation where you can't see the condominium. But if you can get the autobiography of a Warren Buffett, um, you know, a book written by, you know, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Frederick Douglass, um, you know, just reading the book, what you'll notice as you as you read or listen to media, that's it's very important. Um, you know, the things that you consume, you can get lost in these books. You can get lost in podcasts, glean things from these podcasts so that your mind can accept and internalize that there's something different than the situation that you're living in. So you may not have the means to go to the burbs or whatever it is, but you have the ability to go to a library, which is free and read books the people that you look up to read their autobiographies and you'll find that a lot of us come from very, very similar situations as it relates to, you know, uh, traumatic experiences, you know, traumatizing upbringing, things that we had to grow from to experience success. Corey, the, the stuff that you, the stuff that you're saying as it relates to the exposure one of the things that you said was like, I want to live like this. But if you didn't have that exposure, you wouldn't have made that statement. You know what I mean? And that's, that, that's, that's very important that you have the exposure. It doesn't have to be in real life. You can have that same exposure by reading a book and seeing the path the, the, to the people that are in a situation that you did not create the environment that was not something you created. It's, I know it's hard when you're in the storm, it seems like forever, but it's just a moment in your life. That's adding layers to your perspective and your point of view. When Corey speaks who he's able to relate to it, it was shaped in what he grew up in. Man, this is this topic is um man, we didn't even get to the clips. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, let, let me let me say something real quick too. And you you mentioned a few authors. And every author that you name was white. Now I want to kind of dig into something real quick. A lot of the authors 
the Warren Buffett, the Steve Jobs, you know, uh, some of the other people you mentioned. These are books written by people who are very wealthy, you know, successful. And if you look at the difference in content, the only person that's come to my mind right now, I'll just use Tracy McMillan. The lady wrote how to, you know, how to still got her group back. You know, I'll just, oh, you talk, uh, Terry McMillan. Is it Terry McMillan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wait to exhale. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the difference in contacts and what they're writing about, Terry McMillan is, you know, it's novelty, right? It's, it's about relational things. And Steve Jobs was about building a business, how to, how to become rich. So I think, I mean, where are the black authors that that are talking about the same thing the Warren Buffetts and, and, and the Steve Jobs and stuff are talking about? You know, the media is pushing those books. You know what I'm saying? How many black authors can I personally name off the top of my head? And I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I can't name many. But I can definitely sure. I can definitely name the Napoleon Hills. I can definitely name the Steve Jobs, the Warren Buffetts, you know, uh, the, the Robert Kawasaki's. I can name those individuals, but they don't look like me. You know what I'm saying? And everything that I'm reading is coming from individuals that don't look like me, but they control most of the wealth in the world. So. Is it about reading like do we read books based on what makes us feel good? Because I can read a a book by a black author, but I don't want to just feel good. I want something that's going to impute some knowledge to add value to my life. That's going to take me to the next level so I can expose my kids to something different. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't know. I think we got some work to do as black authors. We got more work to do. Everything shouldn't be entertainment. Everything shouldn't be. It should be the how to's, you know, uh, what, what, how did you do it? Why did you do it? You know, what was the result of it? You know what I'm saying? Um, because one thing I really understand now is that the why behind things, right? And a lot of people, why behind things is to profit money, Mm -hmm. but that's not a why that's a result of the why, right? But if you can really tell me why you started something and then tell me how you started and what you did, then we making some moves, but man, Every author you name was nobody looks like us. So I got a qualm with that. And it's like, what can we do to help better the black community be, uh, you know, be better at black representation when it comes to literature? You know what I'm saying? That's really going to help rebuild black Wall Street. I shouldn't have to keep going to a Steve Jobs or, or Warren Buffett or Robert Kawasaki. I shouldn't have to go to those guys. I should be able to go to somebody in my own community that made it out, that was exposed to something different, that can write and tell me how to do it. Because some of these books, yeah, they're written for, I think they're written for a specific group of people, to be quite honest, um, which is nothing wrong with that. But I feel like, what about our people? How can we put these books in our community and people can pick them up and be exposed to what you're talking about, Ken? You can't get there physically. You can pick it up and be exposed to it, to it through literature. How can we remedy that? That's a problem. And I think I need to try to solve that problem because the more problems you solve, the more money. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to solve that problem. I knew where he's good. <laughs> now that it's, it's important. I think that, uh, I, okay. For example, one of the things that I mentioned towards the tail end was about Frederick Douglass. Right. So, um, the, if you look at the experience and the, you know, what, what's written about 
you know, by some authors. I do feel like there is a genre. There are black um, autobiographies of individuals, but they tend to be sensationalized in the sense like it's going to be LeBron James, Michael Jordan's autobiography. It's going to be. So you can see how there is a concerted effort to drive people in one direction of a certain nationality and drive other people in a different direction, or they have more autonomy. They have a bigger, you know, more expansive, you know, playbook to pick from or blueprint to follow. Um, I I still think that, you know, for me, um, when I read these books, yes, you know, a lot of them are written by white men. I I 100% agree with that. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki, as far as the, you know, the rich dad, poor dad, obviously he's, he's an Asian, uh, Asian, uh, gentleman. I don't think that, I think that race has an, has an importance to a younger generation that needs to be able to relate first before they can receive information. But as an adult, there are things to glean from people of different nationalities. And I know you're not saying that. Right. So I want to make sure that's clear. I know you're not saying that, hey, you should just read, you know, this or that. That's another thing that, you know, I often struggle with when I was in when I was growing up, like a lot of my friends were black. I had Asian, white, you know, uh, Latino friends and all that kind of stuff. And I listened to rock music, Marilyn Manson, Limp Bizkit, Corn, Incubus. I was all over the place. Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. We had to play, you know, in the orchestra and all these different things. And what the magnet school program did for me was it gave me a, a better understanding of these things. Um, and from that, from going up that way in the school, in a magnet school, I, when I read a book, I can understand where they're coming from, so to speak, and glean, excuse me, glean the information that I need. So if there are no black, you know, autobiographies that you can relate to, that's fine. Maybe you can read like what Corey is talking about. You can read these books, create your own path and write the book yourself for those who need to be able to relate first and then receive information. So that, that, that is important. Um, I wanted to play a clip as it relates to the topic of media, if you don't mind. Um, it's a, you know, a minute clip, but this is really important. What I find interesting, first of all, you should know that when I create, when I, when I set out to create this stuff, those questions that you're asking, that's what I'm asking. This show is not about answers. Mm. This show is not about, you're not going to watch, you're not going to end a season and be like, yes, thank you, Terrell. You explained it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel good. And I stop provoking. It it, it has to, because, because to me, that's how we're going to get to these places, right? Only in, and because I actually, you know, the, the TV is not there to, to heal you. It's there to provoke. It's there, as, as, as uh, Sterling said, the media is there to make you go, wow, I see myself. I, let me have this conversation with somebody close to me. Let me, let me find a way. Let me, let me duplicate in my life um, this circle. Yeah. So <clears throat> that if, if, for those of you who are listening, that's uh, Terrell Alvin. He's the writer of, uh, David makes man that was the you know on HBO Max and it's now going to be in its second season on own that's the individual or the uh, the show that I was referring to earlier that I feel like 
encapsulates how I grew up. But one of the things that he was saying, the responsibility of media is to not to solve the problem, but to create the conversation. So what we are doing here on this podcast is very similar to that. We're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. We are trying to start the conversation. And possibly we are trying our best to talk and move towards solutions that, you know, are applicable to people that look like us, that can relate to us, that may feel like they are not represented. You know what I mean? It's it's important to see ourselves. It's important to see Barack Obama as the president and be who he is. It's important because whether we admit it or not, our children and what like what were you hitting on as far as exposure? If we are not exposed, we are limited in our agency. So, you know, what we can be, all of these different things, it's highly, highly related to our exposure. It is very rare for someone to have not been exposed to anything, have these grand dreams and things that they would like to be that they have never seen. I I personally haven't seen anyone or met anyone. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but like I was asking Corey that he hit on, his exposure created a, oh, there's a different life to than this. I want to do that. Okay. How do I do that? Yeah, man. It's, no, I, man. And, and it's, it's so true because I believe what I saw, it did something to my cerebral cortex, right? Which is the largest part of the brain that processes information. Um, and so it, I began to process things when I saw that, when I was exposed to it. And I just believe that, like you said, Ken, exposure is everything. There are some people who I've talked to, they said, I've only gone out to a restaurant one time. You know what I'm saying? I've only been in this environment. I never even left the city. And I'm like, man, there's so much out here in this world to explore, you know, to touch, to see, to taste, to all these things, your your, your senses, right? They're there for a reason. And I believe it's they're there to explore the world that God placed us in to, you know, be a part of. And that exposure for me and just being around people who are like minded, people who don't think like me, have different perspectives and, you know, come from different cultural backgrounds and all the exposure to those things, people, places and things opened up my mind and say, man, this world is so much bigger than where I grew up. You know, this this world is not full of toxicity. My little world that I was living in was. You know what I'm saying? There are people out there that really love you and that really care about you, that want to see you make it. There's people out there that really uh, is really rooting for you and not trying to manipulate you to get something from you. Like being exposed to different people, places and things changed my life. And because I had that experience, I'm exposing my children to something different. You know what I mean? And they're loving it. They're like, oh, my gosh, I love this. I can't believe this is out here. You know what I mean? Like being able to buy three brand new vehicles within a, a couple day span. My kids are like, wow, I got people looking at me like, man, how are you able to do that? Like, what are you doing? We everybody share this car right here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But 
being exposed to what my aunt showed me, it, it gave me like a, a hunger, a, a thirst for something greater. You know what I'm saying? And so I said, I'm not going to be exposed to these things and just let that die on the inside of me. She's, I'm not a, I don't think anything happens by coincidence. We all have impediments in our life that we're faced with, you know, and we all have these mendacities that we told ourselves, which are, you know, uh, untruths. They're not true. We got to break free, though. And the only way I was able to break free is was because I, when I had a drive, when I had a hunger and a thirst, and two, because I was exposed to something different than what I was used to. And I'm telling y'all, if you're stuck in a box, you're stuck in this bubble and you're afraid to explore, you're afraid to branch out because you're stepping into unfamiliar territory. You're going into the unknown. And that's one of the scariest places in the world to step into, the place of the unknown, because there are no certainties there. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen when I do this. Go for it anyways, because somebody needs you to be exposed to something else so you can eventually take what you was exposed to, make it your own and share it with the rest of the world. But if everybody's living in their own box, they're going to continue to fight against one another, compete with one another, you know, uh, tear one another down. But that exposure opens me up to a array of people. So we're not all competing for the same things. We're not all fighting for the same things. I can have conversations with this brother over here or, or this sister here or whatever nationality they are, and we can get somewhere. I got tired of talking to the same broke people in my neighborhood who ain't doing nothing. I got tired of people getting money, but they really broke. But because they feel like they bought something that represents financial freedom, a symbol that represents financial freedom, that they was financially free. It's like, no, bro, you trapped in the game. You just bought something that symbolizes financial freedom. You ain't really finding I got tired of being around people like that. You know what I'm saying? I want to be around millionaires. You know, now I'm having conversations with Les Brown and, you know, uh, John Tellerico. All the, these people are millionaires who work with millionaires in the industry. They work with Akon. They work with uh, all type of other people. It's like I'm in company with these people. All because I was exposed in middle school to something different. And I said, I want better for my life. I want better for my kids. And I'm never going to slow down. I'm not going to quit because I'm tired. I'm going to stop when I'm done. Man, that, that's key. Don't let people project their insecurities onto you. So as you're coming up and you have dreams, and you have things that you want to be that are not necessarily around you that you've been exposed to in one way or the other. Don't be afraid to be weird. Don't be afraid to not fit in. <clears throat> Excuse me. When, when I was in high school and middle school, by being in Acres Home, there's this, this, uh, this, this thug culture, so to speak. There's more. There's, there's, that's not the only culture. But that was the very, it was in your face. It was very prevalent. The sagging of the pants, the, you know, the gold teeth and uh, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that stuff is bad. But if that's not who you are, don't try to do that. If that's not who you are. When I was coming up, I tried to do that. And I'm telling you, this is my experience. I'd sag my pants. I, you know, you know, water, water. The the uh, gold teeth and all that kind of stuff. I did that whole song and dance, and man, thank God to 
the the dudes that were you know that were at uh, A Leaf Elsick and uh, Acres Homes who did not even allow me to move into that space because they could see like this is not you, bro. You trying, but this is not you. Thank God for those individuals because they were my age, but the and some of them were OGs. And they seen like, hey, bro, this is not you. Like, nah, nah, this is not you at all. They seen it before I did. Don't try, don't try to fit in, man. Be who you are. Whatever you're comfortable being, be that and be comfortable with that because that's going to make a way for you when you get older. Okay. So, I'm, and I'm talking to the kids that are in middle school, elementary, um, you go on into high school and even into college because you, you, it's a, it's a huge identity crisis going on from like five to probably 20, what, in your twenties where you're trying to figure out who you are, what you want to be in life, how you want to live your life, uh, where you want to live, the car you want to drive, the amount of money you want to make, you know, do you want to take vacations, trips? You're literally creating a life. And it's okay to be weird. You don't have to fit in. If you want to go hiking or if you want to go, I don't know, go watch a chess game or go experience museums or whatever your thing is, you know, you might collect things, whatever it is, don't let, because that's what I was hitting on earlier. There were guys in in my hoods, quote, quote unquote, that oppressed that. So anytime I... I would show those type of interests. Oh man, you dorky, man. You weird, bro. Like get from around me with, with this weird. Why you want to talk? What? So what? You read that book X, Y, and Z. Don't let those people deter you from something that's pulling on you. Yeah, man, that's so good, bro. Like I, I want to add to that too. The way you carry yourself, represent yourself. The way you do it and you stay true to yourself the people around you is going to help you uphold your character, the way you represent yourself and the dignity that you, you walk around in. Like there's been times when I was in college, I was used college. I would get around a, a, a bunch of guys who were doing things opposite of what I was doing. Now I stayed true to myself. You know, I wasn't a drinker, you know, I wasn't a smoker and all these things. Right. But there was instances where I'm like, you know what? I'm in college. I'm going to try this. Because the way I represented myself and the way I carried myself, these guys told me, dog, that ain't you. We ain't going to let you in the room. Won't you fade back? When we done, we'll come holler at you. It's stuff like that, man. When you carry yourself well, you represent yourself a certain way. You know what I'm saying? People will help you uphold your character because they know that out of every one of them, you're going to be the one to make it out. And if you're the one that's going to make it out, you're going to reach your hand back and pull them up. You know what I'm saying? And those are the type of people you want in your circle. So what if somebody talk about you? Let me tell you something. The reason people talk about you is because they lost the privilege of talking to you. I'm going to say that one more time. The reason people talk about you is because they lost the privilege of talking to you. So the hell with what people got to say about you. You know what I'm saying? Get with people that's going to help you uphold your character. When you get out of line or you're thinking about, you know, stepping out of place, they'd be like, no, nah, dog, that ain't even you. That we ain't going to let you in the room. We respect you too much to even let you do this to yourself. Hell, they don't respect themselves, but they respect you enough not to let you partake in some of their foolishness. Because a lot of times, nine out of 10, they're depending on you to make it out. And so they're going to protect the most precious thing in a group. Sometimes, I I mean, I, I say this a lot. If you're the smartest person in your circle, it's time for you to level up. But sometimes it's good to be that person in your circle because you have some somebody can look up to you. 
You know what I'm saying? And they can help hold you accountable and push you towards your greatness. So you got to know, man, you know, there's going to be times where you're going to be the maturest person in your group. There's going to be times where you're doing things opposite everybody else. They're going to talk about you. You know, then you're going to have those ones that's going to hold you accountable and, and uplift you because they depend on you to make it out for all of them. You the representation for them. There's going to be a lot of different scenarios played here, but you know, you got to know how to operate in each one. And that takes time. That takes exposure and it takes experience. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be confident and you get that. There are some children, man, that are born with that and you can see it. But it for most people, it takes time to be comfortable with who you are. And that's like we hit on it, uh, you know, a few episodes ago, Corey, you hit on it as, as it relates to being intimate with yourself and understanding who you are and, you know, what you like, what you don't like and being OK with being the oddball in certain situations. You, you don't want to fit in, man. You really don't want to fit in. You don't want to be like everybody else. Yeah, that, that that's important, man. But we're going to um, we got some stuff coming up that I think is, you know, for the next episode that I think is cool. I'm going to play a clip and then Corey, I'll let you take us out. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this is one of the topics that we're going to hit on and, and to kind of cue it up, you know, Will Smith and Kevin Hart are having a conversation at the red table. It's just them. It's not Jada, you know, and the, the other women on the panel. It's just Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Our next episode is going to hit on this topic. So if you could bear with uh, bear with me. Yep. And it's a, that's a major transition that, that I had to, to make. You used business terminology and say so you're CEO, you're a chairman, and you say you got soldiers, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a military mindset, which is almost an absolute necessity to sustain the life that you've created. Mm-hmm. And what I had to learn and the transition I had to make and I'm still trying to make is I don't care how I feel. It don't matter how I feel. I don't give a damn how I feel. I give a how I feel. Feel. You want to talk to me about a feeling? It's like my feelings. So definitely yours. (laughs) Right. And I literally had to learn how to care about how people feel. And I messed it up with Trey and I messed it up with Jaden. And Willow was the one. Willow was the one of my kids that got me. And she would just look. And it was so strange there. She's like, but daddy, you don't care how I feel. And I'm like, yes, yes, baby. I do care how you feel, but you still have to do what you said you were going to do. Yeah, right. I don't want to, daddy. And it was like, "Mm." and she really got me to understand nothing matters but how people feel. Mm -hmm. And if you don't care how somebody feels, it is the deepest betrayal. And you, you can get away with it a little bit with your sons because there's a paternal society that's established and their football coaches are going to back up what you said. And then their teachers, they're going to back up the foolishness of not caring how they feel. But with your daughters and your wife mm-hmm. and your mother and sisters and the women in your life, it's like it is a vicious and vile and violent, abusive betrayal to look in somebody's eyes 
and not care how they feel. Not acknowledge. Yeah, so we go, we're going to hit on that in the next episode, but it's that, man, that's important. Yeah, that's and deep. Deep. one of the things in the manosphere that gets talked about quite a bit is, you know, being productive, being a high value man. And I think, you know, I think that has its place, but there's another piece to this that I don't think is being discussed as it relates to how we may go out into the world and produce. But when we come home, there's a different hat that we have to wear as men and providers in leading our household. Feelings do matter. Emotions do matter. And that's the part of the problem in the it, that I'm starting to see. Or maybe it's not a problem. It's something that's not being spoken about. That there's a balance between the mindset that you have to have to go out and conquer. And then there's a mindset that you have to have to. Um, to create an environment, a healthy emotional environment for your household so that your kids are comfortable and are able to thrive and grow into the people that they are. There's a certain amount of emotional intelligence that I don't think we talk about. But Corey, I'll let you take us out, but we're definitely going to hit on this in the next episode for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the episode. Y'all be sure to tune in with us next week. But no, listen, if the media is not going to portray you the way you want to be portrayed, then you portray yourself the way you want to be portrayed in media. We are responsible for how people see us, people's perspective of us. We create these narratives for people. And some people are going to have their narrative about you regardless of what you show them. But kind of like what this, this podcast was talking about, you know, how are we going to represent ourselves in the media? And is it our job? You know, it's our job. I'm telling you, it's our job to represent ourselves well and carry ourselves well. You're not going to be perfect every single day. You're going to have some, some flaws. You're going to have some mishaps, but represent yourself well, expose yourself and your family to something different than what you grew up in. So you can break the cycle. You can break the curse and we can begin to build and heal at heal as a community, as a black community, you know, but in communities in general, but particularly as a black community, because we got the most healing to do. So no, we appreciate y'all tuning in with us. This is the Thinking Man podcast with Ken and Corey. Listen, continue to rock with us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're out there on the social media platform. So be looking forward to seeing us out here every week. We love y'all and we out. Peace. Hello, everyone. My name is Ken. I am the co-creator of the Thinking Man's podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the last episode. We really appreciate you guys for tuning in. Uh, hopefully we sparked the conversation between you and your loved ones, your family and friends. And we really appreciate it if you could share the content. You know, when we started this thing, the whole goal of it was to just start the conversation. We don't have the solutions, but we definitely want to spark conversations. So we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Have a good day.